Just a few weeks ago, a surfing instructor from Santa Barbara was arrested on charges that he had killed his two young children. According to police, the man took his children across the border into Mexico, where he shot both of them with a spear fishing gun and then stabbed them multiple times with a wooden stake before leaving them in a ditch. He told FBI agents that he had been enlightened by QAnon and Illuminati conspiracies and had been convinced by visions and signs that his wife possessed serpent DNA and had passed it on to the two children, a two-year-old son and a 10-month-old daughter. On the outside, this man looked good. He was a graduate of a Christian college. He had conducted surfing ministries and was a part of Calvary, Santa Barbara. What went wrong here? I think the Proverbs of Solomon, particularly chapter 2, can help us a little bit with some of this. We have titled this sermon series, Old Testament Twitter, because the short sayings in the book of Proverbs stand in stark contrast to much of what is on Twitter, Facebook, Telegram, any other number of social media sites. Many have been sucked down a rabbit hole by what they have read on social media and have adopted ideas and attitudes that not too long ago would have seemed outrageous. While Proverbs contains wisdom from God, much of what is out there is the opposite of wisdom and can have serious repercussions ranging from damaged relationships to murdered children. So far, we have looked at the reason Solomon gave these Proverbs to his son in chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. The admonition from a father to his son, telling him to avoid casting his lot in with those who are going out to deliberately seek to do harm to others, in verses 8 through 19. And the strong warning from wisdom herself, in verses 20 to 33. We have defined wisdom. And we spoke of the importance of getting wisdom. In chapter 2, we have the second of the parental lectures found in Proverbs. I believe there are six, maybe more than that, as you go through the book. At the end of chapter 1, wisdom is personified as a woman. And the same is true here in chapter 2. This chapter is in the form of a poem and is divided into two sections of 11 verses each. And it was written for easy memorization. In it, we find what the fear of the Lord is, what is right and just and fair. The first four verses contain statements with if in them. Verses 5 through 8 speak of learning about God and the results. Verses 9 through 11 speak of learning ethics or right living. All of these verses are about producing a godly character. In the second section, verses 12 through 15 speak of the wicked man. Verses 16 through 19 tell of the wicked woman. And verses 20 to 22 conclude by contrasting the fate of the righteous 
with that of the wicked. Verses 1 through 4, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands with you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. In his lecture on Proverbs 2, Dr. Bruce Walkey states that these verses are the condition for what he calls a religious education and an ethical education. If you accept my words and store up my commands, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, these are the conditions We must accept God's word as coming from him. That's the first step. Then we store up God's word. Memorization and study is the first part of this. But it's not enough. The Pharisees studied and memorized God's word. Yet when the one came who was the fulfillment of that word, they completely missed it. The idea is to value God's word and to store it in our minds and our hearts, making it a part of us. So what is the result? Verses 5 through 8. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield. To those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. If we accept the teaching of Scripture, if we cry out for God to give us insight and understanding, asking for it as if it were valuable treasure, then we will understand the fear of the Lord. And find knowledge of God. Now this isn't the fear that would cause us to cower in fear. Or run in terror from God. Now the fear of God is a reverent awe of him. Recognizing who he is. And his supremacy. Proverbs 8.13 states that the fear of the Lord is hating evil. Knowledge of God is more than just knowing about God or knowing a set of facts relating to God. It is an intimate knowledge. If someone were to mention George Washington, I might say, yeah, I know him. Now, that doesn't mean I know him personally. I'm not that old, no matter what some of you may think, Kirk. It means I know who he is. And I know a certain number of facts about him. Now, if you were to mention Jan, that would be different. I know her in an intimate way. Much more than just knowing about her. You know, I think it's true that the longer a couple is married, the more they begin to begin to look like each other. I'm sorry, Jan. <laughs> But that is what knowing will do. 
And it's the same with knowing God. The more we know him and the deeper our knowing becomes, the more we become like him. Verses 1 through 5 would be considered the theological education. In verses 6 through 11, Solomon turns to what can be called the ethical education. I just already read through 9, or through 8. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. Solomon states that it is the Lord who gives wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. He holds success for those who are upright and is a shield to the blameless, guarding the way of the just and protecting the way of the faithful. This is the one who commands us to seek him and to cry out to him for insight and understanding. He teaches us what it means to fear him and know him. And he protects our way. He takes care of us. Having obtained this knowledge of God and knowing him, learning to fear him, we then understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. We will be given wisdom and knowledge, and we will be protected by discretion and guarded by understanding. Knowing God and fearing him will lead to right living. In Matthew 7, Jesus states that the one who hears his words and obeys him, obeys them, will be set on a firm, sure foundation. Solomon is conveying the same kind of teaching here. How many of you grew up Hearing scripture read and prayers recited every morning in school. I know I did. Anybody else? Now there's a few. Now, out of all of those who sat in those classrooms and heard the Bible, read the prayers, said the prayers, and who learned what it meant to be good boys and girls, how many of them do you think are following Jesus today? How many do you think turned out to be people who take advantage of others, who are arrogant and worship wealth and power? I'd venture to say that more than a few have gone on to reject the God of Scripture. In his lecture on this chapter, Dr. Walkie states this. Listen to it and see if it might sound familiar. I think it does. It does sound familiar to me. The theological education is the basis to the ethical education because religion and ethics cannot be separated. Note that your worldview determines your value system. So naturally, religious education comes before ethical education. They are inseparable. Interestingly, within culture, and more specifically the generation before me, my public school teachers held the Christian values and the Christian ethics was assumed, but Christian theology was not 
assumed. We never learned about the resurrection or doctrine, but instead we learned how to live the Christian life. Everybody back then lived the Christian life. My generation had the shadow and ethics of Christianity, but we didn't have the reality and the substance of Christianity. It was a shadow generation, but this shadow could not produce a shadow. It could not pass on the ethics because it had no substance. We had that sexual revolution, a very traumatic time in American culture in the 60s, the Beatles, great music changes and moral changes because there was no longer a foundation for the Christian ethic. I believe that this is a large part of the reason that there are folks who claim to know God and follow Jesus and live in ways that are directly opposite to what is taught in God's word. They may have been taught right and wrong, or at least how to stay out of trouble. Many have been given the what of living, but they've not been given the why. They've not been taught to seek after God and to accept his words and store up his commands. They've not cried out for insight and understanding and searched for wisdom as for silver. As a result, they haven't learned God. They may have learned about him, but they haven't learned to fear and to know him. They may have been taught right, but there's no firm foundation for their ethics. Is it any wonder the world around us isn't attracted? Knowing God, treasuring his wisdom and speaking it and seeking it as you would silver or gold will result in an understanding of what is right, what is just, and what is fair or equitable. Verse 9 calls this every good path. It's the right way to walk through this life. Wisdom will enter our heart, going deep down in who we are, and knowledge will be pleasant to our soul. Not only that, but the discretion that comes from wisdom will protect us, and our understanding will guard us. Guard us from what? Well, there are a number of things that can easily come to mind. The verses 12 through 19 give us two in particular, the wicked man and the wicked woman. Actually, I wonder how much that really narrows it down. It seems that there is a wide range of things that could be covered by protection from wicked men and wicked women. <clears throat> Verses 12 through 15. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked, and, are de and who are devious in their ways. First type of person that God, uh, the discretion protects us from are wicked men. Now we've seen these men in chapter one. They're described there as those whose words are perverse, 
whose feet have left the straight path, the path of what is right and just and fair. These are the ones who say, let us lay in wait for people, get ill-gotten gain, and so on. But in this chapter, they are the men who walk in the dark ways. They shun the light. Jesus describes them in Matthew 3. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. The wicked men delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil. In Romans 1.32, Paul writes of those who not only practice wickedness, but approve, take delight in others who do the same. These wicked men walk a crooked path and their ways are devious and deceitful. Look around at our culture. Perversity and evil are celebrated. Some of the most popular reality shows celebrate immorality and a worldview that values stomping on others to get ahead. Those who are willing to lie and cheat their way into the corridors of wealth and power are looked up to by many. Even some leaders in churches seem to have no problem using their positions went away, using their positions to hurt and use others while gaining power and fame for themselves. And their people seem to love it. Read verses 16 through 19 as soon as I can get this tablet to do what it's supposed to do. All right. Verses 16 through 19. Wisdom will also save you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Surely her house leads down to death, and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. Not only will discretion protect us from wicked men, it will also protect us from wicked women. The King James translates verse 16 this way, To deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger who flattereth with her words. What is a strange woman? Well, it's not just someone who lies in ponds distributing swords. Solomon was quite familiar with foreign women, women who did not worship Yahweh, women who turned his heart away from God. First Kings 11, 1 and 2, and the King James says that Solomon loved many strange women. These were foreign women, many of whom he married to seal alliances with other kingdoms. In some concordances, you can find strange woman between temptress and harlot. The NIV translates it as adulterous woman, and the ESV reads forbidden woman. This woman is one who tempts others and uses her powers of seduction to turn naive men from the right path. She has forsaken her husband and has gone searching for other men, completely abandoning the covenant 
she made before God. The wicked woman leads her victims down a path that leads to death and to the spirits of the dead or to the departed. Those who fall for her seduction are trapped. They are unable to return to the right path, the path of wisdom and life. This woman is described in other passages as a sweet talker who is on her way to hell, as one who is not wise, as one who leads astray. She provides temporary happiness by blinding others to the truth, but ultimately destroys many. Now, there are churches and groups who major on telling their young men to beware of those strange women out there. To the point of making it seem as if every female is looking for a young man to corrupt. There are plenty of men out there as well who are unfaithful to their marriage. Who search for others to seduce. Women and now men. And who lead their victims down the path to death and destruction. It's not just the women. There are plenty of guys who do the same thing. Verses 20 to 22. Solomon says, Thus you will walk in the ways of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. These verses summarize and conclude the instruction. If you seek God, search for his wisdom as for treasure, accept his teachings, you will learn to fear him and come to know him. This will give you wisdom to understand the path of what is right, what is just, and what is fair. The prophet Micah would describe it as acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. The discretion that comes from wisdom will protect you from those who are wicked, from those whose ways lead to death. Verse 9 says we will understand the right path. True understanding will lead to action. Understanding the right path will cause us to walk in it. <clears throat> Verse 20 describes this path as the ways of the good and the paths of the righteous. Verse 21 states that the path of the righteous leads to inheriting the land and remaining in it. In the days of Solomon, this had immediate meaning. The people of Israel have been commanded to keep the commandments of God. If they did, they would stay in the land. If they did not, they would have their land taken away from them and they would be driven into exile. And we know that that is exactly what happened. The nation ended up as wicked and treacherous, and they were rooted out of their land and cut off. I believe that there's a parallel here with the teachings at the end of Matthew 7, where Jesus describes the ones who hear and obey his teaching, those who keep the paths of the righteous, as set on a firm foundation and will never be destroyed while those who hear and do not obey the wicked and the treacherous will be swept away. So how does this play out here 
in Rock Hill in the 21st century? Well, I'm glad you asked. I don't believe exploring the Proverbs immediately after the Sermon on the Mount is a coincidence. Now, I know we planned it that way, but it could very easily have gone another way. In fact, I think we were thinking of Proverbs first. So I don't believe there's a coincidence there, that one is following the other. Proverbs 2 and Matthew 5 through 7 really are both teaching the same concept. The knowledge and the fear of God will cause us to keep his teaching and to follow his way. True understanding and wisdom will have consequences. It will lead us to follow the path that is laid out for us. If we don't follow this path, we will face destruction. Going back to the beginning of the sermon, I believe this is why the church is as messed up as it is. So how do we make sense of everything that comes our way? Well, I would propose that we take what we see, hear, and read and run it through the teachings of Jesus. Jesus said that we will know what kind of people others are by their fruit. Is the person telling us we need to support them, poor in spirit, and mourning over sin? Are they meek? Or are they arrogant? Do they hunger and thirst for righteousness? Or do they revel in unrighteousness and refuse to show mercy to others? Are they pure in heart and peacemakers? Or are they always ready to tear someone down? Are they salt and light? Or do they just bring heat? Do they teach all of God's word? Or do they pick and choose what fits their agenda? Do these people desire to forgive and be reconciled? Or do they want to own, cancel, and destroy the other side? Are they people of their word rather than those who will say whatever fits the moment? Do they love their enemies? And are their charitable acts done without making a big deal out of it? Do they judge others according to the standard that they themselves are unwilling to measure up to? Is their fruit good or is it evil? Is the house that is built on their work ultimately going to come crashing down? Or is it built on Jesus the King and his teachings? I fear that a great deal of what is being proclaimed these days as biblical truth is simply a house built on shifting sand rather than on the rock, Christ Jesus. May God help us to embrace wisdom and learn to fear him and truly know him.